Every family has a way of doing things. A way they handle the big stuff and the small stuff. A way of thinking, doing, gathering, serving, being. A way that even from the outside walls they sometimes call home tells you who they are and what they stand for. We are South Hills. We are family. This This is is us. Hey, uh, just so you know, I'm going to give a couple uh, just kind of precursors for everyone. Um, I haven't spoken to more than uh, a camera and one person uh, in 149 days. Okay, so uh, if I'm a little rusty, we'll keep moving. We'll be fine. Um, So anyway, uh, it's an honor to be here. Uh, Thanks to uh, so many uh, folks just for showing up and uh, some of our Burbank campus that have moved recently or... Uh, in the past few months, I've moved kind of up in this direction and uh, we're able to make it here today for a live service. So thanks for being here. Um, and thank you, Santa Clarita, for just being willing to, to endure the Santa Clarita sun and get outside under a tent and uh, smart idea starting this thing early. And uh, uh, you guys are doing a great job. I just want you to know that. Um, and let me just ask this. Um, I try to do this anytime I speak for somebody because uh, being a pastor, oftentimes, um, the, the, you, get, you get nice positive things after a message, and I think people try to make you feel good, but uh, it's really between like Sunday morning and then like the following Sunday morning right before service. So anytime outside of that one hour of service, maybe the half hour after, uh, appreciation is sometimes low. And so I'm going to ask you to do something this morning, even like right now, um, if you have Pastor E's uh, cell phone number, um, if you have his cell phone number, if you follow him on Instagram or Facebook, uh, would you do me a huge favor, even like right now, like I'm, it's going to take me a second to get into the message, so don't feel like you're, you're missing something. You're not going to miss too much yet. Um, that was kind of a joke, but nobody reacts. Uh, I want you to message Pastor E, just even if it's something simple, like, hey man, praying for you today, love you. Just would you send him some type of encouraging word, even like right now? I would love for his phone or his uh, Instagram to just blow up. Uh, no matter where he is, I don't know what he's doing right now, but wherever he is, he should just get a line of messages from people just blowing him up and uh, saying thank you for all that you do. So uh, take a moment to do that if you would. Um, and then thanks to Chanel um, for just that announcement with uh, Love the 818 stuff. Um, this food distribution that we have an opportunity to just to partner with as a South Hills family is so incredible. Um, if you just, just pause and think about for a moment what we get to do, We've done two of these food distributions where we've given away 30 plus, 40 plus thousand pounds of food already in San Diego, as well as in um, uh, Corona. Corona had a little leftover, so we were able to help out our Costa Mesa campus. Um, and then this Tomboy of Hope truck that showed up unloaded 32,000 pounds of food into our building, which isn't that big in the first place, but all of it is filling up our, like, kind of our, our hangout space in our church. And then on top of that, we've been collecting food bags and then the city got involved and we got some other churches in Burbank uh, to get involved. We've got all these other people starting to get involved. And so our building is full. Like even if we wanted to meet right now, we honestly couldn't even meet in our building. There's so much stuff. We just gave away almost 400 backpacks yesterday in a partnership with the city of Burbank. 
with uh, Burbank Housing Corporation and the YMCA. Um, so we're trying our best while we can't meet to still just be the church and to love people because that's what we get to do. We, we get to just love people. And uh, I just wanna say thank you for partnering with us on this food distribution event. Over 500 families is our goal to, to make sure that we can fill their trunk with stuff. Like we have so much food and supplies. We have so many different items that we just wanna be a blessing to our community with. And so thank you for partnering with us and for considering serving with us. It is a massive undertaking to do um, simply because we're not doing it on our church property. So we have to use another facilities parking lot that the city kind of gave us. They were super generous in that. And so we have to get all the stuff in our building onto a truck, transported to that space, unloaded from that space into that parking lot. So we have two giant moving trucks that are gonna be going. We have two forklifts, tons of pallet jacks. We have all kinds of stuff that's gonna be happening on Friday uh, to just make sure all that happens. So if you're available, like Chanel said, please help us out, love818.com, you can find it. But uh, we're gonna jump into the series today. So if you have a, a Bible, you wanna open it up. And if you have a notepad, you wanna open that. If you have an app and you want to follow along with like a version Bible app, I encourage you to do so. Uh, we're going to look at a couple different passages today. We're going to settle into one particular parable uh, in just a moment. But uh, this whole series is about um, us. It's about what South Hills is. We're walking through our values. We're trying to understand who, who are we really? Who are we uh, supposed to be? And who do we sometimes fall short of and need to be reminded that we are? And so this whole entire series is really a deep dive into us and what we're trying to accomplish as a church and if all of us get on board with these values it makes us that much stronger now i don't know about you i've done I'm, i've done this and and i haven't always been um, a great uh responder to people who say that they're going to do something and then kind of come up short i don't know how you are when people tell you they're going to do something with you or for you and then they they kind of drop the ball they don't complete the project they don't come through for you I don't know how you respond, but as a pastor, I'll just admit it to you right now, I'm terrible at sometimes in the way I respond to people, especially early in ministry. Um, I started out as a, a junior high youth pastor in Ohio. I'm from Ohio area. And uh, I started out in this church and, and I was very young and I'll ad admit to it, I was a very immature pastor when I started. And so uh, people would always come up to me and say, hey, pastor, can I help you with this thing? Can I help with this project? And yeah, we need to reserve some vans. We need to reserve some hotel rooms. We're going to travel for this thing. And so people would always come up and they'd want to help me out with something. And I would kind of offload things because I'm, I'm a firm believer in allowing people to help. Like I don't have an issue typically holding on to everything and not letting people be a part of stuff. I love seeing people work together. So that's never been really an issue for me until I started to experience this. People would just forget things. They would drop the ball on something. They would not reserve enough of something. And so we show up to a hotel and we're two rooms short or we, we get the vans and we got the wrong size of van and it didn't quite work. So then we kind of scramble at the end. And something that I just started to pick up over time was that the more I trusted people, the more people began to hurt me in the process because they didn't do what I asked them to do or do it the way I thought that they should do it. And, so, and pull everything back. And the more that I held on to things and the more that I pulled it back and said, well, I can't really trust this person anymore and I can't trust, I really can't trust anybody now. And so I started to hold on to everything. And in ministry, especially in, in anybody's life, but especially in ministry, when you start to hold on to everything, you start to just become overwhelmed because, you know, as a leader, you were never intended to try to do everything on your own. And so you start to, you start to realize I can't do all this stuff. I'm starting to, to get stressed out. I'm starting to be frustrated with everyone. And before long, you slide into this thing called burnout. 
you start to just get burned out on it. Now, luckily, I never got to that place because I started to realize some of my issues uh, early on. I started to realize that I was not trusting people for the wrong reasons, and, and I needed to just open that up. But let me just encourage you with this and challenge you with where we're headed this morning. See, there's times where it seems easy to not have to rely on anyone. There's times in our lives where it's going to feel really easy to not rely on anyone else to get the job done. You don't want to trust people. You don't want to help have somebody come in and help you get something done. You don't trust others because ultimately in your mind and in my mind, we think I can just do better myself. You know what? If I just did this, I would be so much better at doing this all on my own because that person will never come through for me. Those people don't come through for me anymore. I can't trust that person anymore. And honestly, I think we've all done this at some point in our lives. We've all gotten to a place where we want to trust people, but we really struggle. Whether it was a project at work, or maybe it was an assignment at school, or maybe it was just that time where you were like, you know what, I'm going to let the kids kind of do their thing. I'm going to see how they do on their own. But while they were kind of on their own, you were still hovering over them. You were kind of helicoptering them and just like waiting to see if they needed your help. And so you weren't really kind of letting it go. And ultimately, what did you do? You saw something happen that you wouldn't have done. You, they didn't do it the way you were going to do it. They didn't say it the way you were going to say it. And suddenly you decided, you know what? It would just be easier if I did this all by myself. It would be easier if I just took this responsibility all onto myself again. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment because the truth is this. We all need each other. We all, we all need each other. And when you and I start to think that we don't need each other anymore, we start to fall into a trap. And there's a very dangerous trap in starting to believe that we don't need other people, that we can just stay isolated all the time. As human beings, I mean, just, just think about this for a moment. As human beings, everything about us is contagious. And I know that like that definitely rings true right now in the current situation we're in, okay? We're in a pandemic and there's this virus and, and all this stuff is going on. So not just physically though, everything about us is contagious and it's not just your physical health. I mean, think about this. Your, your behaviors are contagious. Your habits are contagious. Your attitude is contagious. Your thought patterns can be contagious if you share them. Your, your belief system, your mannerisms, your interests, your passions, uh, even your worldview is contagious. And what it's contagious with the most, just like in the current situation, is the people you spend the most time with, the people that you're the closest to. So the closer you are to people, the more contagious you and I become to the people we're around. And so healthy or unhealthy things about us come from somewhere, or more accurately, they come from someone. I mean, think about it. The healthy things in your life come from someone, and the unhealthy things in your life probably come from someone. Not just something that you randomly picked up without knowing where. There was probably someone in your way that you knew from work, and there were certain mannerisms, there were certain behaviors, there were certain attitudes, and you started to adopt those onto yourself. Why? Because they're contagious. So you could say it this way, who you become is less about what you know than it is who you're with. Who you become is less about what you know, less about what you've learned, because we can all learn, but it's more about who you're with. It's more about who you're surrounded by. Growing up in, as a young youth pastor, there was this uh, author when I was younger, and he used to always say that you're either uh, growing daily or you're dying gradually. And, and he used to always use these phrases like this, and it's so true that you and I have to know who we're around. We have to know what we're picking up from people because we're either growing or we're not. 
And this is the value we're going to get to in just a second. Now, the problem with this is that a lot of us have trouble finding and feeling connected to the right kinds of people. We struggle to understand who the right kinds of people are for us to be around. And many of us, many of us have just determined that we're going to stay isolated. And nothing is more true than that phrase of being isolated in our current situation. We're, we're so isolated right now from one another. And, and what we tend to do is we tend to think, well, I'm, I've been isolated now for 149 days. I keep saying 149 because we shut down on March 13th. I have a thing on my phone that tells me exactly how far away we are from March 13th. So I'm reminded constantly of how long we have been in this situation. For me, it's 149 days. And it's crazy to think that we have been in this situation and the longer we're here, the more we start to believe that we can stay isolated from other people, that we can just do it all on our own and we don't need other people. See, it's possible. It's possible in our current society for you and I to be constantly surrounded by people, to always have people around us, yet still feel completely alone. I mean, think of the last time you felt alone, and you probably weren't really alone. You probably had people around you. You had friends that you could call. You had family members. You had loved ones. You had people that you could really rely on, but you still felt completely alone. And you and I were never intended to be in that place. See, loneliness leads to something. Loneliness leads to depression. Loneliness leads to stagnation. And we start to become depressed, and then life becomes stagnant. Life just becomes this thing that we do, and we wake up in the morning, and we just do our thing, and we go to bed at night, and every day just kind of blurs into the next. I mean, how many have been there over the last 149 days? Like, you forget what day it is. You're like, do I need to put on real clothes today? Do I just stay in my pajamas? I've been in these same pajamas for four days now. And so we have a limit in our house, okay? Pajamas only go for so many days and then they have to be washed. It's just like a rule for us. But we, we get in this place and what happens is that life starts to become just stagnant and nothing is really happening and we don't feel like we can do anything. And so we kind of freeze where we are. And I'm sure you've already realized this, but life in isolation doesn't work so well. It just doesn't work so well because it was never intended to work so well for us. So the fundamental issue here, the fundamental issue is an issue that God was trying to resolve from the very beginning. So let me just show this to you real quick. I don't think the verses are going to come up on the screen. You can just jot them down and read them later. But in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of Scripture, God is going to intervene into the earth and to creation. And God is going to do something to intervene to really figure out these two issues that were happening. So from the very beginning, these have always been issues. It's the issues of emptiness. You find this empty and formless world. The earth is formless and empty is literally what it says. And so God is stepping into the emptiness to do something about it. God saw emptiness and he said, I need to do something about that emptiness. I'm going to step into this. And then you just fast forward a little bit into Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You come across this passage where, where God creates man, and finally there's man on the earth, but God looks at man and says, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And so God is going to see the man's loneliness and do something about it. Now, I want you to think about this, because I don't know about you, but growing up in church, I grew up in church my whole life. My grandfather's a pastor. My, my parents were literally like pastors. I mean, we just were always in church. And I've never really heard the, the idea in uh, Genesis taught in a certain way. And so I want to share this with you, because I think this is so helpful for us. 
So the story of Adam and Eve is not just this story about romance. It's not just a story of two people coming together to populate the earth. I want you to think about this. The story of Adam and Eve is more about the nature of humanity than anything else. It's about this nature of humanity, how it is not good for you and I to be alone. It's not good for us to be lonely. Unfortunately, Christians at times have taken this idea from scripture and we've abused it. Where sometimes people will say, you know what, I don't need to go to church. I don't need small groups. I don't need to be in a serving team. I don't need to be around people because you know what, it's just me and God and all I need is God. Part of that is true. But God also created you to need people because God saw your loneliness. God knows that you don't function the best alone. And so God, yes, you need God, but you also need people. But no one was closer to God. Think about this. No one was closer to God than Adam was. I can't imagine another person other than Jesus who was closer to God in all of scripture. I mean, he walked with Jesus in a garden. Nobody else just spent day after day cruising in the garden with Jesus. God, weird thinking when I read scripture. I want to imagine, like, what were they talking about? Like, what in the world is God talking to Adam about? And what is Adam having conversation with God about? And they're just walking the garden day. We don't know how long they walked around together, but they just walked and they just talked. So think about this. Adam had God. He had all of God. He had every piece of God that he wanted every single day in person, face to face. Yet God still looked at Adam and said, it's not good for you to be alone. But he had, all, he had God, yes. But God still recognized that he needed something more than just him. God realized it. And so when God looks at Adam and says, I, I don't want you to be alone anymore, God realized that Adam needed connection. He needed connection to another person not just himself. See, some of the stuff that we just mentioned is, is from a, a previous series. We kind of got into this, and if you ever want to learn more about that, just go back through uh, the Santa Clarita podcast. You can go through the Burbank podcast, whatever it is. You can go back and listen to our emotional series. We did kind of a deep dive into all of this. But as a church, we have a value, and here's what our value speaks to with this idea, that we want to be healthy, and healthy things grow. We want to be healthy and healthy things grow. So in this idea of growth, I want you to think. Think about the things around you that are constantly growing. I mean, it's true, for, it's true about organizations like a church. We want our church to be healthy. And if something, that nothing living, think about this, nothing living is ever in neutral. Nothing that's living is ever just sitting in neutral. You don't get to get to a place in your life where you just kind of put the car in neutral and just sit. Well, I'm not gonna move forward. I'm not gonna move backward. You are either, like I said a moment ago, you're either growing daily or you're dying gradually. That's just the nature of life. That's the nature of us. That's the nature of everything. You're either growing or you're dying. You're moving forward or you're moving backward. You're not just sitting in one place. And so Jesus, Jesus being the master storyteller that he was, amazing storyteller. Nobody could capture an audience and then, and then interject a parable, a story like Jesus could. And so in their day, Jesus is going to tell this amazing story and he's going to hit this one on the head. He's going to nail this one perfectly in this parable, the parable of the mustard seed. And he's going to present this parable 
to a group of people that have been gathering, that have been following along. But Jesus is going to use this reference several times. He's going to use references of seeds multiple times in his ministry. You can read this all throughout the Gospels, all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read the different stories that Jesus would share, and he would constantly refer back to seeds. Think about it. There's the parable of the sower, the person who would scatter seeds, and how some seeds would fall on good soil, and some seeds would fall on bad soil, and the results of the seeds landing in different soils. You had the parable of the weeds that choked out the young seeds, that, that sometimes things are coming up and they try to choke out the life in a young seed or a young believer is what he was talking about. You have the parable of the vines. He's talking about these, these plants. He's, then he gets into the parable of the fig tree. He, he constantly is using these references of plants and seeds. Again, this is something that we discuss in our Discover class that Jesus was constantly throughout the gospels using agricultural references because he's living in an agricultural community. It's a group of people that understood this. They understood the living and the dying of things. They understood seeds. They understood the ground. They understood the value of growth. These people understood this stuff. And so when Jesus would present this kind of story, this kind of parable or analogy, everyone understood what he was talking about. And so when we get to this idea of the mustard seed, Jesus actually used it two different times. And sometimes if you were raised in church, if you've been around church for a little while, we sometimes we confuse the two stories of the mustard seed because he actually uses it in two different locations. In one particular instance, he's going to share the story of the mustard seed, which is the one we're going to look at. But he uses it in three of the gospels. He uses it in Matthew 13, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 13. And if you find something in three of the four gospels, can we just all agree that is probably important. Down into three of the four different stories of the life of Jesus, it was a pretty important deal. And that's exactly the one that we are going to look at today. This isn't the, the mustard seed and the faith conversation. That's a different location in scripture. This one is going to be about something else. But let me give you context of where we are. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, in just a second. That's the story of the, uh, the mustard seed. But just to kind of give context, what's happening here? In, in Luke chapter 12 and the beginning of Luke chapter 13, you find Jesus kind of in this almost like an episodic version of stories. He's kind of, he's kind of laying up this foundation of stories. He's building up to something because there's all this growing tension with the religious leaders. All these religious leaders are following Jesus around. The tension is building. You can kind of feel it as you move through scripture that all these people are after Jesus and they're trying to bring him down and they're trying to shut down what he's doing and they're trying to get people against him. And so you have all this stuff going on in, the, in Luke chapter 12 and Luke chapter 13. And so the religious leaders in the community are doing this. So Jesus is going to try to change the way people are thinking. He's going to try to challenge the way the Pharisees are thinking. He's going to try to push against law about compassion. He's going to challenge all of these different things that they think they know about. So when we get to Luke chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, this is what they get to. It's, a, it's somewhat of a contentious interaction that he has with the rulers of the synagogue. They're kind of challenging him on some things. And so in verse 18, there's a response. Jesus responds, what is the kingdom of God like? He asked this question because he knows that nobody can really answer this question because the kingdom of God was still somewhat confusing to the average person sitting in the audience, just like it is probably to most of us. He says, what is the kingdom of God like? And, and to what shall I compare it? So what is it like and what do I even compare it to? How do we start to understand the kingdom of God? And this is something that Jesus was constantly trying to do. He says, it is like a grain of mustard seed 
that a man took and sowed in his garden. And that little mustard seed, that tiny mustard seed, it grew and it became a tree. And then that tree allowed the birds of the air to nest in its branches. And what is Jesus ultimately getting? You can continue reading that if you want, but ultimately what Jesus is getting at is this moment. And I think he gets to this moment. There's this dramatic pause where he probably is assuming like, hey guys, I just told you what the kingdom of God is like. Dramatic pause and everyone's just looking at him confused. Like, I have no idea what you just said, Jesus. (laughs) Like, could you, would you mind repeating that kingdom of God come from? Did they go to the store and buy it? Did they just get their own mustard seed? Like, Jesus, help me understand what in the world you're talking about. And so like most times, Jesus would share something and he would oftentimes swoop in at the end and kind of help people understand. But here's what Jesus is trying to get at. He's trying to get at this idea of a mustard seed. See, this mustard seed, most of us in this room, we don't deal with mustard seeds. And no, it's not the yellow stuff that you have in your fridge that you don't even know the last time you bought a bottle of mustard because that same bottle of mustard has been in there for years. You should just check the expiration date. That's my public health warning to you right now. Check the expiration date on your mustard. It's not the yellow stuff that we use to ruin food. It's just, and that's my personal feeling. Um, It's not that, it's a totally different plant, okay? That's mustard, small mustard plants. This is a mustard seed, which grows into a mustard tree. It's, It's this extremely small seed. And what's crazy about it is that this small seed can grow into a tree, a massive tree, like 25 feet tall. Its branches spread wide. It gives amazing shade. It produces incredible fruit, but it can do all of that on less than eight inches of water a year. It's this hardy plant. And in this plant, in this tree, it kind of creates its own ecosystem. This whole thing is happening in this desert region. When a mustard seed grows, it turns into this incredible ecosystem within itself. It produces fruit, and each of those fruit have one single seed. It's not like an apple. It's not like an orange. It has one tiny seed in the middle of it. And every piece, every piece of the mustard tree is is useful. The bark is useful. The the, the branches are useful. The the leaves are useful. It's, it's It's an amazing, amazing tree. And so what Jesus is trying to get at is that this is what the kingdom of God should be like. The kingdom of God should be growing. The kingdom of God should be thriving. The kingdom of God should be creating an ecosystem within itself that is producing good fruit. The kingdom of God should be doing good things, should be doing something to benefit others. The kingdom of God should then be dropping those seeds and planting something into the next generation of mustard seeds. There's so much in this idea, but ultimately he's getting at this idea. The kingdom of God should be healthy and the kingdom of God should be growing because the kingdom of God was made for others. The kingdom of God was not just made for you and I. It was made for everyone out here. It was made for everybody. And again, we talk about this idea in our Discover classes that you and I need people. We just, we, we all need people and people need us. There's four things that we mention in our Discover class. Let me just give them to you real quick. Four things that you need people for. See, you need people who truly know you. Number one, you need people who truly know you. You need people that know the ins and the outs of you. They know the good, the bad, and the ugly, which I just watched yesterday with my oldest son. He wanted to watch a spaghetti Western, and so we sat down and we watched the classics. So that's what we do. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You've got to find somebody that knows you, somebody that can, you can be honest with, somebody that you can be vulnerable with, somebody that you can be transparent with. You need to have someone in your life who is close enough to you 
that they can stand being annoyed by you, the real you, and just let's be honest, there are people around you that know that you're annoying, okay? You just don't know it yet, but you are to some people, and they still like you. And that's the kind of people we need, that you can still be the real you, and they still care about you. You need people who truly know you. Number two, you need people who are committed to doing life alongside of you. You need people in your life who are just committed to walk alongside of you through all of the ups and downs, through all of the inconveniences that you're gonna put them through. They are willing to stand in there with you and they're willing to leverage their own resources to help you succeed. So you and I need people like this. We need people that know us. We need people who are committed to just doing life with us, who will walk with us and who will leverage different moments of their life to better our lives. You and I, we need people. Number three, who we can trust to lovingly confront us and to challenge us. See, we need the kinds of people in our life, and and you and I, we, we both need this. We need the kind of people that can look at us, who will hold us accountable to what we said we were gonna do, and they will hold us accountable to actually do it. They will keep us accountable. They will lovingly confront us when they see our lives going in a direction that they shouldn't be going. They will stand up to us and lovingly care more about us than they do the friendship that we have. They'll encourage you. They'll build your confidence. They care for you. And then number four, finally, is this. You need people who you can learn from and impart something to. So you and I, we need people around us that we learn from, but also we need people that we can pass something off to. We need to constantly have those people in our lives who expand our thinking. I I have a, a a few people in my life that I love just sitting down and having conversations with that I'll, I'll go to coffee with or I'll get on a Zoom call with them, especially now, and we'll just, we'll talk. We'll talk theology. We'll talk scripture. We talk about things and they're constantly challenging me to just think bigger than what I currently am. I have a small group of, of men and women from our church that I meet with on a regular basis and I, I present ideas to them and I say, hey, here's my thought. Here's my idea. Here's what we want to try to do. And then they'll go, ah, I don't know, Dave, I'm not sure. And they'll poke holes in it and I don't take offense in it because I know that they care about me and they care about our church, they care about our mission so much that they're willing to to stand up. They're willing to impart wisdom. They're willing to speak into it. And so we have to find these types of people and there's different ways that we do that. I think we do that by creating it within our church. I think we do that by finding small groups to get involved with, involved in our community. But let's be honest. See, you and I are most likely to develop deep, rewarding, in-person interactions with actual people. And I know that in-person part is a little iffy right now. But if it has to be on a FaceTime call, if it has to be over a phone call, if it has to be over a Zoom call, whatever it is, we need it. See, you and I, we, we grow more, we develop more in rewarding relationships when we have people in our lives who are consistent, who are open-hearted or even open-handed. And they're just real people. We need these kinds of people in our life. And I'm sure you already know that. You don't need me to tell you that. You know that you need those types of people in your life. And if I were you to ask you that, to think of the last time in your life, when was the last time that you felt most alive? The time in your life that you felt just the most yourself, you were the most fulfilled, you were the most connected that you've ever been? I would almost guarantee that it would be at a time in your life where you were deeply connected with other people. That there's probably a time in your life where you felt the most alive, the most fulfilled, the most connected, and it was because you had real people in your life 
And if you're not in that place anymore, I would challenge you to think about why. Have you started to become isolated? Have you started to pull back from people? Are you not healthy and are you not growing? Maybe we take it a step further. I think the times that you and I have probably grown the most in our life, the times that we've woken up to, to new realizations about ourselves and the world around us and to our faith, the times where we were stretched in really positive ways and challenged to live life differently, these moments probably involved other people too. See, the, the people in our lives that influence us, that challenge us, that are contagious upon us, we need to find those people that are going to do it and help us in the positive direction, help us grow and move forward. See, changing what you think or changing what you feel or changing what you do involves changing who you put around you. If you want to change the way you think, if you want to change the way you feel, if you want to change what you even do, you have to consider changing station for our kids. Right, we want our kids to have good friends around them and we want them to have good influences. And we think sometimes that it's only about our kids. But it is so much more true with you adults and with me. I have to monitor who I allow to be on the inside of my life the most. Who is speaking into me? Who's getting more involved? Who's changing the way I think? Who's challenging the way I feel? Who's changing some of the behaviors that I do? And if it's moving me in the wrong direction, if it's moving me towards a place of unhealth, then I have to stop and consider who do I need to shift in my life? Who do I need to move out a little bit? And who else do I need to bring in? See, it's critical for us to have people around to do life with. It's critical for us to learn from and invest in other people. And there's a second value. So today's a, a bonus value day. The second value today is this one, that we grow more in circles than we do in rows. Now, oftentimes when we get to this idea and we talk about it, we talk a lot about small groups. And it, it absolutely is, is a critical conversation about small groups, doing life in circles, not just sitting in rows. But think about it beyond that. See, a healthy mustard seed can spawn a forest of healthy mustard trees. One seed can grow into a tree and that tree can grow just a, a multitude of other healthy trees. And a collective forest like this in the Middle East in a place that is barren, in a place that is oftentimes desert, has a specific name and purpose. It's called an oasis. And we believe that this is what our church should be. Our church should be the kind of place that is an oasis to people who are looking for something. Because you know people, I know people. I know people that are looking for something and they're looking in all the wrong places. You know people who are trying to find something and they can't find it anywhere else. And what better place for them to find what they're looking for than a healthy, thriving oasis of a church? Because that's what South Hills always wanted to be and was intended to be. We never intended to be the kind of church where we would just sit in rows and come in every Sunday, learn something and walk out. Because we could do that every day of our life and just keep learning something. But if we never take our learning and do something with it, if our faith never turns, if we don't have love that motivates our action to move us towards health. So we need each other. We need one another. And we need to create a space inside of our church and inside of our communities and inside of our small groups. We need to create a space that is attractive to those who are searching for something more. 
And I think we have a unique time in history right now to do this more than we ever have. Because people right now are searching. People right now are hurting. There is pain like there has never been pain, I believe, in many people's hearts, at least the people I talk to. And they don't know what to do with it. They don't know where to go with it. And we have to be the kind of place that is willing to be attractive to those who are on the outside looking in, who need something. So what do we do? What do you and I do with that? How do we move forward with that information? Well, I think you should consider that your loneliness isn't the only thing at stake. So your loneliness is not the only thing at stake. You absolutely need other people. But doing life with others isn't just about you not feeling alone. See, everything that you're desperate to get, think about this, everything that you are desperate to get from someone else, you are designed to give to others as well. Everything that you are trying to get from other people, all the validation and all the love and all the care and all the concern and all the stuff that you're trying to get from other people, you were actually designed to be the person that gives it to everyone else too. See, this is what health looks like. So I want to challenge you this morning to think this way and then we'll pray. There is someone who needs you just as much as you need them. There is someone in your circle. There is someone in your job. There is someone in your neighborhood. There is someone even in your family who needs you just as much as you need them. And this is our mission. This is what we do as a church. This is what we should be doing as Christ followers. Is being healthy and growing and understanding that it doesn't just happen sitting in rows Sunday to Sunday. It happens when we do life with other people in circles. It happens when we're honest and transparent, when we grow and we expand. So my challenge to you this week is to find people. Find people you can honestly share your spiritual journey with on a weekly basis. Find somebody, find somebody, anybody that you can just share your spiritual journey with, not just your work journey, not just your parenting journey, not your retirement plan journey, not your financial journey, sharing your spiritual journey with someone on a weekly basis that could look like a small group. Well, you know what, Dave, they don't have the small group I want here. Then start one, start the one you want and then attract other people to it. Well, you know what, I don't know if I have enough people in my life, then find some people. Do a version plan together. If you can't be into a small group, find, find a place to serve, get involved, just get involved somewhere to do something with other people and bring somebody into your world that you can start to share your journey with because we all need this. We all need this. So let me ask you to respond in one of two ways. Either you're here today and maybe you've never made a decision to personally accept Jesus into your life and, and maybe you've been trying you've been sitting on the outside looking in, you've been trying to think about it, you've been you've been you've been considering it, you've been trying to read and ask all the right questions. And I just want to encourage you, if today is just your day, then I want to encourage you just to say yes to Jesus. Just go all in. Don't wait for something else. Don't wait for another week. Don't wait for just that perfect moment. Well, you know, I don't want to do it outside. I'd rather do it inside. There is no difference to Jesus whether you accept him inside or outside in a tent. Just say yes. I would encourage you to do that today. And if you're saying yes, please talk to someone. 
here on this campus. Find one of the volunteers, find one of the leaders, talk to someone. But maybe you've also been holding back. You've been feeling somewhat alone. I wanna challenge you to make a decision today. To make a decision to connect and to grow. I wanna challenge you to make a decision to connect to other people and to start growing personally that you have to decide that you will do that. Nobody else can decide it for you. You have to make that decision. So consider, consider there's someone out there that needs you just as much as you need them. And what are you gonna do to connect to them?